Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I just didn't know how much his body could take. Nature's deadliest organisms. This parasite is almost always fatal. They can hijack our bodies. They felt like everything was out of control. Disable our immune systems. That just frightened the hell out of me. And eat us from within. All I kept thinking is, oh my God, I'm going to lose my son. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Dante Atulo and Gail Glenzer live in the Chicago suburb of Orland Park, Illinois. Dante and I first met at a nightclub about 10 years ago. I wanted to start a family, and he kind of wanted the same thing. I was looking for the right woman, and I guess she was looking for the right guy, and we were just on track. After 10 years together, they have a family of four children. Abby, Ben, Casey, and Dan. I spend as much time as I can with the kids. Just sitting outside with them playing is enough for me. Dante is a good father. He um, always playing with them. He's a hands-on dad. <laughs> but supporting the family isn't easy. I actually have two jobs, construction in the day and in the winter. I also do snow plowing. Dante is definitely a workaholic. He just loves to work. I mean, I don't think he's taken a day off in the 10 years I've known him. So he does what he's got to do to provide for all of us. It's a typical Tuesday morning in January. Dante is on a contracting job doing some carpentry. I was working on a frame, holding an eight-pound nail gun, top of the ladder. This was a tool that I used a million times before. One hour into the workday, he inadvertently stands on a hose. As I was coming down the ladder, the air hose tightened behind the ladder and jerked my arm towards my head. And the tool whacked me in the head. 
It rang my buzzer, but I'm used to getting little nicks and scratches. The job is tough. You hurt yourself here and there, but you just keep on going and get the job done. Dante carries on with the work, but a few hours later, something hits him. We had just finished lunch and noticed that I was starting to get a headache. I don't know if it was because I was tilted upside down somewhat. The pressure, it felt like my head wanted to explode, but just kept on doing what I needed to do. Dante pushes through the pain for the rest of the shift and heads home. When Dante walked in, he said he whacked himself in the head. And he said his head hurt. It looked like he had a, you know, just a tiny gash. It didn't look like anything serious. So I took a tissue to kind of pat it off, and I noticed that it was still slightly bleeding. I, I was a little concerned by that. I did put some peroxide on it, and uh, it didn't seem to, you know, bubble up or anything. It looked good, and he said, just leave it. Let it close up. We wrapped it up with some gauze, put a bandage on there, and I went upstairs and went to sleep. A few hours later, Dante wakes up and learns that a snowstorm is coming, but his head is still pounding. I knew it was gonna be a good 10, 12 hour snow push, and I was just gonna have to deal with this headache because I wanted the money. I told Dante I thought he should take the night off of work. He laughed at me. He said, no, we gotta, I have to go make the money because that's just who he is. So Dante heads out for his second job operating the plow. As we were driving down the main street, about an hour into our shift, I started feeling dizzy. Felt like my head was like one of them little bobbleheads, bouncing back and forth. So I kind of straightened up, grabbed the steering wheel to collect myself, and I started seeing little spots in the, everywhere, little, little white circles and spots and stars. Now I'm starting to think that something's going on. At that point, I couldn't drive anymore, so I had to pull over so my coworker Bob could take over driving. Dante rides shotgun for the rest of the shift. After working all night, he finally returns home. When he walked in the door, he looked probably the worst I've ever seen him after coming home from work. He was tired. He was crabby. His head, he said his head still hurt him. When I took my hat off, I noticed that it was sticking to the bandage. So Gail came over and noticed there was some pus on the bandage. Seeing pus was a sign that there could be an infection. I was definitely growing more concerned with the thought of an infection. I said, are you sure? You don't want to go get this checked out. But I told her, nah, I really didn't want to waste time sitting in a waiting room. I just wanted to go to bed. When his mother, Jerry, hears about the accident, she gives him a call. I said, you hit yourself in the head? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what happened? He says, I'm sleeping. I said, I don't care if you're sleeping. Wake up. I need to talk to you. What'd you do? Mom, I just got home from plowing. I'll call you back in a little while. And he hung up on me. I decided to ignore her and just go to bed. But he is unable to do so. He sat down at the dining room table, and he explained to me that he couldn't fall asleep. He did not look good to me at all. He was pale, a little greenish in color, and what really, really scared me was when he said he was nauseous. I thought for sure he had a concussion. I could tell by the tone of Gail's voice that she was starting to get concerned. She thought that we should go to the clinic. And I thought going to the doctor at this point is probably a good idea. Gail takes Dante to the clinic. There, the doctor notices something odd. The doctor started to examine me. And the doctor was concerned because I had a bump, like a goose egg. The bump is unusually large for an injury of this kind. She was even concerned that I may have a skull fracture. 
So the doctor instructed me to go to the hospital to get a CAT scan of my head, but I just thought it was a waste of time. Gail is having none of it. Dante would have much rather have gone home and go to sleep, but I told him, I'm taking you to the hospital. I mean, he didn't have really a choice. I was driving, and that's where I was heading. I knew that if I didn't go get this CAT scan, I would never hear the end of it. So I agreed and went peacefully. Gail picks up the kids from school, leaving Dante at the hospital. There, doctors perform the CAT scan on Dante's head. 30 minutes later, the results are back. The radiologist came out and called the Tulo, come with me. So I got up and I followed him. I noticed the signs on the wall that we were heading towards the ER. I asked him, I said, what's going on? Because now I'm concerned. He said to me, he goes, dude, you're walking and talking. Just come with me. Neurosurgeon Dr. Leslie Schaefer takes on the case. I was shocked when I first saw the scan. I knew that the potential for trouble for Dante was significant. The doctor walked in and had a picture of my CAT scan and showed it to me. The scan clearly showed that there was a nail in his brain. And I looked at it and I started laughing. And I said, is this a joke? And the doctor said, this is no joke. A three and a quarter inch nail is embedded in Dante's brain. The nail head acts as an anchor in the skull itself. As the skin surrounding the injury swells, it hides the nail from view. But inside Dante's head, the shaft of the nail has pierced the brain, causing the organ to bleed and swell, resulting in his unrelenting headaches, dizziness, and spotty vision. Dante's family rushed to his bedside. My heart stopped. I felt like, oh my God, my son has a nail in his brain. How is he going to survive this? How would anybody survive this? And as a mother, all I kept thinking is, oh my God, I'm going to lose my son. I'm going to lose my son here. I was panicking. I was in shock. And Dante can hardly believe it either. I was wondering how I was walking and talking and still alive. It turns out Dante just got lucky. This nail traversed right between the area that's responsible for movement and the area that's responsible for sensation. So the placement of the nail at that time really caused minimal weakness. Had the nail passed slightly to the left or right, Dante would have been permanently disabled. But Dante isn't out of the woods yet. The real risk to Dante was in removing the nail. Any manipulation of the nail where it sways forward and back, there was a chance that a hemorrhage would develop and he could sustain paralysis or even death from the hemorrhage. And the chances of success are extremely low. He only had a 5% chance of making it. That was what scared me most. It hit me, hit me all at once. I wondered at that moment if I was gonna die. He looked at me and he said, Mom, make sure my kids are okay. I was numb. I was numb. I, I just couldn't believe we were at this point and this is what was happening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Dante Atullo has a three and a quarter inch nail embedded in his brain. And now he must undergo a high risk surgery to remove it. Dr. Leslie Schaefer takes Dante into the OR and begins the procedure. One wrong move at that time could have left him paralyzed. In the waiting room, time comes to a standstill. Felt like a year and I did a lot of staring out the window and a lot of praying. I was more scared for my kids. Well, something happens to him and I now and I have to take care of him and the kids. How was I going to be able to do that? Two hours later, Dr. Schaefer comes out of the OR. Surgeon walked right to me and um, even this minute, he said, uh, he's out of surgery. He's alert. He's talking. He's just fine. And I gave him a big hug and I said, thank you. The nail was removed without incident. And it floated out of the skull, almost as though it was a miracle. A few hours later, he sees Gail in the ICU. She asked me how I was doing and I said I felt fine. Woohoo! I'm here still. I did, you know, pretty much run up to him and give him a hug and a kiss. And the nurse kind of yelled at me a little bit. But all Dante can think about is his work. I looked out the window and noticed it was snowing, and I was just watching the money fall from the sky. And here I am, stuck in the hospital, and I can't do nothing about it. I'm like, are you kidding me? I knew from that point he was okay. Two days after surgery, doctors release Dante from the hospital. And shortly after, he returns to his work as a contractor. But why did Dante never feel the nail in his brain? 
Although the skull itself can sense pain, the brain lacks pain receptors. So it's not uncommon for victims of serious traumatic brain injuries to just feel a minor blow to the head when actually they've sustained a life-threatening injury. Today, Dante lives a normal life. At the moment, I have no lasting effects from the surgery. Every day I wake up feeling lucky. It makes you, you know, kind of look at life a little bit differently. You, you should live for every day. I could have lost my son, and he's still here. So every day that he's here is a blessing. It was a mass unlike anything we could have possibly imagined. My wife was hysterical. Losing him would tear the family apart. Richard and Ivy Rios live in the small city of Elk Grove in Northern California. They have four children who all play sports. Our household is very busy. It's chaotic. There's always a lot of running around. But they pride themselves on running a tight ship. Everything was always structured from the time that we woke up to when we made beds to when we did our homework. It was definitely a requirement to have structure. That same discipline is needed by their son, Marcus, who has lofty goals. Marcus would always tell me that his dream was to play college football. Marcus uh, worked out with college players at the, uh, from seventh grade. He worked out with NFL players in eighth grade. He never once stepped away from that challenge. And by high school, his efforts pay off when he receives over 20 offers for college football scholarships. The most exciting part was watching him achieve his goals that he worked so hard for. It's March, and Marcus has accepted an offer from the family's first choice college. The day that he chose UCLA, I couldn't have been more excited. I couldn't wait to go get my UCLA gear. I couldn't wait to be a Bruin with my son. In August, Marcus joins the UCLA football team for preseason training. But he doesn't start the year in the best of health. A day or two into the camp, Marcus revealed to me that his nose was stuffed up and he was having trouble breathing. It hurt him at practice that day. I didn't think anything of it. I got a little stuffy nose. You push through let's, uh, and let's move forward. Richard hears no more about it until a few weeks into the fall semester when Marcus tells him he's had headaches that are so bad he's had to skip class. My first response was, you know, that's not acceptable. You know, you need to get to class one way or the other. I just assumed that Marcus was feeling the pressure from what the college football required of him. This is big-time football. But Marcus's mom suspects the true cause is something else. Marcus was never a complainer. I knew something was wrong. I suggested that Marcus go see the doctor. So Marcus sees a physician who orders a CAT scan. The results seem clear. As soon as he walks out the doctor, he gives me a call and he tells me that the doctors say that he has a science infection, that uh, it's simply going to require a surgery to resolve this. It could have been something that uh, stopped him from his dreams. But to find out it was a simple procedure uh, to fix a science problem, well, I, I, was, I was pretty excited about that, actually. Richard and Ivy drive six hours to join their son for the operation. The procedure to cut out the blockage in his sinuses takes five hours. Finally, the doctors announce that the operation has been a success and that Marcus will soon be symptom-free. It was a big uh, relief off my shoulders, knowing that we'd have Marcus uh, of old uh, with us again. But after a week of recovery at home, 
Marcus still isn't feeling any better. He still was complaining of the same symptoms, his head, his nose. He still couldn't breathe out of his nose. Marcus returns to school, hoping that all he needs is more time to recover. A few weeks later, Richard and Ivy get a call from their son. He says that, Dad, I can't handle the pain anymore. Nobody understands. And I want to quit football. I don't want to come home. In my wildest dreams, I never thought he would ever say he wanted to quit football. I would say that was a red flag that something was really wrong with Marcus. But Richard takes the longer view. I felt incredible regret for him. This kid was going to have to give up his dreams. So I was very, very sad. And I encourage him to think about it. Marcus decides to stay. In December, the UCLA Bruins qualify for a holiday bowl game in San Diego. Marcus contributes a few plays to the delight of his watching father. It was a, probably the proudest moments of my life. To see him realize that hard work is going to definitely pay off as we've been preaching, it was very exciting to the whole family. A few months pass, but then Richard and Ivy get an unexpected call. I was out running errands when Marcus gave me a call. And he was, he was yelling out, Dad, I can't see out my eye. I can't see. I can't see out my left eye. I wasn't able to think at that particular moment. My wife was hysterical. I had a moment of, oh my God, what is this? I was freaking out. Marcus's parents tell their son to go straight to the emergency room. ENT specialist Dr. Jeffrey Sue takes on his case. When Marcus came into the emergency room at UCLA, he was very sick. He was in severe pain, and he was losing some of his vision as well. Because of his symptoms, I wanted to order an MRI scan. The medical team puts Marcus in the scanner, and the results are immediate. It appeared that there was a mass in Marcus's sinuses, unlike anything we could have possibly imagined. Part of the mass was spreading into his eye, and the other part was moving backwards into his brain. To prevent the spread of the mysterious growth, Dr. Sue rushes Marcus into the OR. 350 miles away, Richard and Ivy receive an ominous call. I found out my son needed emergency surgery, and we couldn't get there fast enough because they was going to take him in right away. My wife was beyond emotional, but I continually just told her that, you know, you know, be strong. In the OR, Dr. Sue discovers the large mass is made up of dead tissue. As I was removing more and more tissue, we were getting closer and closer to his eye and his brain. One wrong move would have resulted in either a stroke or permanent blindness. It was getting very, very risky at that point. With the surgery becoming too dangerous, Dr. Sue ends the operation. At this point, we weren't sure what we were dealing with, so I sent samples of the tissue to the lab. Richard and Ivy reach the hospital just as their son wakes up. I noticed that his left eye was swollen and locked in place. It was shocking, shocking for me to see. It was a big sign that uh, something was terribly wrong with Marcus. And because it's too risky to remove the rest of the mass, Marcus's future looks increasingly uncertain. The doctors informed us that he possibly could lose an eye. If his eye would have been removed, his football career would have been over. But without knowing the cause of the growth, doctors have no means to fight it. We were, at that point, frightened. 
The not knowing was unbearable. Then, two weeks after Marcus was first admitted to the hospital, Dr. Sue gets the lab results back. So the biopsy showed that Marcus had an invasive fungus called Aspergillus. Aspergillus is an airborne mold. Inside Marcus's body, the fungal spores attach themselves to the moist lining in his sinus cavity. There, the fungus colonizes the area and spreads through the nerves of his nose. It consumes the tissue and bones in his face, spreading into his eye and towards his brain, causing Marcus's sinus infection, migraines, and vision problems. I had never realized what effect a fungus in your body could do to you and how it could take over your body and how it could just uh, devour you from the inside out. One of the reasons that aspergillus can be so dangerous is because it's very hard to diagnose. The symptoms can be easily mistaken for a whole range of far less serious medical problems like allergies and sinus infections. Still reeling from the diagnosis, the family must brace for more bad news. The fungus was located less than a millimeter away from Marcus's brain and spreading quickly. Marcus could rapidly deteriorate and potentially die. When I heard that, that just frightened the hell out of me. Knowing that he had something that could kill him was just unthinkable. The thought of losing him would tear the family apart. Couldn't fathom the fact that Marcus had fungus inside of him. It could kill him. He got to the point where he needed help just getting out of bed to walk. He was so weak, I would feed him. He couldn't hold his own spoon. I just didn't know how much his body could take. We did the only thing we could do, and that's pray. But then, nine days into treatment, Ivy notices something new. I woke up Marcus, and I realized his eye swelling had went down. First thing I saw was my mom. I realized that I could finally see. I yelled. I said, Mom, I could see again. I could see again. I was so relieved my baby was getting better. Incredibly, Marcus fights off the Aspergillus fungus. And after a month in recovery, doctors release him from the hospital. But how did this athlete contract the fungus? The Aspergillus fungus can be found on trees, plants, and compost. Infection usually occurs when the fungal spores are inhaled into the human body. In most cases, the body's immune system can fight off the fungus without any problem. However, people with weakened immune systems are less capable of battling the fungus, making the chances of an aspergillus infection much higher. But doctors are puzzled by Marcus's illness. In Marcus's case, we cannot find anything wrong with his immune system. So we really don't know why Marcus got this fungal infection. Today, Marcus is back in the game. I'm really excited to be back playing football. There's nothing more I wanted to do to be back playing on the field. His willingness to fight through anything is uh, incredible. Aspergillus can be found in air conditioning and heating ducts, insulation, and even in some food and spices. Because it's so common, there's little one can do to avoid exposure. However, those with a weakened immune system who are most at risk should avoid places where the fungus can thrive or where fungal spores might be inhaled. 
People who work on construction sites, in grain silos, or near piles of compost should wear face masks to prevent the inhalation of aspergillus spores. Walt and Gingy Driggers live in the small town of Sumter, South Carolina. They met 12 years ago and had an instant connection. Gingy genuine, good personality, very pretty. What I like about Walt is that he's very family-oriented and just a real honest person. They have three children, Heather, Mary Beth, and their youngest, Blake. Blake is eight, and he just loves everybody. Blake is um, just full life, very energetic. He is just a very kind-hearted child. And there's one place where Blake is in his element. Blake loves the water. He loves jumping off the diving board. Anything to do with water, he loves it. It's Friday on a blazing hot day in July. Blake is heading to a friend's house for a sleepover. He liked spending the night. Made him feel like a big kid, and he was very excited. They went out to eat that night. I got a picture sent on my phone of the two of them with their huge plates with crab legs, and they were having a blast. The next day, Gingy gets a phone call from Blake's friend's mother. She told me Blake complained about his stomach hurting a little bit. He had just thrown up. I told her, I was thinking maybe he just overate the seafood buffet the night before and um, that he should be okay and that um, I would take care of it as soon as he got home. Blake returns home and seems in better spirits. He got home and he said, Mom, I know why I got sick. And I said, why? He said, because I was missing home. I said, oh, okay, well, you're home now. I hope you're going to feel better. He got up and he went outside and he played with the dog a little bit. And then he went back and got on the bed. Blake falls asleep, and a few hours later, Gingy goes to check on him. And I could tell he had a funny look on his face. I had to grab the trash can really quick, and he started vomiting. I felt bad for him. I thought it was just a typical stomach bug, and it was going to pass, maybe like a 24-hour bug, and then he'd be fine. He started throwing up every 30 minutes or so. At that point, I knew that I was going to have to be by his side, so... I actually lay down with him so I could be right beside him because I could tell that it was going to be a long night. At midnight, another worrying symptom occurs. I was taking his temperature constantly, and it was over 100, and it was climbing. And so I started rotating Tylenol and Motrin to try and keep it down. I felt terrible for him because I could tell he really didn't feel good. He was not complaining, just kind of being a trooper. The vomiting finally stops, and they fall asleep. But in the morning, Gingy notices something unusual. He had urinated in the bed, and that was not normal for him to, to do that. When Gingy wakes up Blake, she is alarmed by his state. He looked very weak, um, just exhausted-looking. Gingy called me in and said, Walt, come look at Blake. And when I went and looked at him and he was real pale and lethargic, I said, oh, no, we're going to the hospital. Walt and Gingy drive Blake to the local ER. There, medical staff swing into action. 
And as soon as we walk him in, and he was so weak, his head was flopping back and forth. The nurse looks at him, immediately got a wheelchair and put him in it. And she said, oh no, take him straight to the back. But even inserting an IV proves difficult. They were having a really hard time trying to get a vein. He was just so dehydrated. They sent several people in trying to get the IV in and they ended up having to put it in his neck. At this point, he wasn't talking very much. Um, he was just laying there, just still looked really weak. Concerned by Blake's symptoms, doctors order a spinal tap. They had to roll him over on his side and actually insert a long needle. It was terrible to watch. Just by looking at the spinal fluid, doctors know something is wrong. They told us that it was very cloudy, and normally the fluid from a sp your spine is supposed to be clear. Cerebrospinal fluid acts as a cushion protecting the brain and spine from injury. If the fluid is cloudy, this can indicate a buildup of white blood cells, signaling an infection. The doctors then order a CAT scan of Blake's stomach and head. To prepare, he must drink a special contrast fluid that allows the imaging to work. I would tell him, you know, take a little sip. He just didn't want it. He would make a yucky face because it didn't taste good, and then he would just kind of doze back off to sleep. So 30 minutes passed, and I went to try and wake him up. It was like he was, like, losing consciousness. It scared me. I kind of went into panic mode. His mother, Jinji, alerts the staff who rush Blake to an emergency CAT scan. Within minutes, the results are in. The doctor came into the family room and said that Blake had meningitis. Meningitis is a condition in which the lining surrounding the brain swells. It can lead to kidney failure, brain damage, and in some cases, it's fatal. We were calling our friends and just had everybody start praying. Doctors start Blake on a course of strong antibiotics and transfer him to a specialist hospital. It just happened really fast. Going from thinking he just had a mild virus to now possibly meningitis. Gingy prepares for another long night. I was not gonna leave his side. I didn't know what was going on and I didn't want him to be afraid. So I would kind of get his hands and just kind of hold his hands and just talk with him. I knew that I had to be right there beside him. The following day, nurses conduct routine checks on Blake. They came in to draw blood. And as soon as they pricked his finger, he got real stiff and just kind of reared back. He went into a seizure. And it was just very scary to watch. A seizure is caused by unusual electrical activity in the brain. It can result in uncontrollable muscle spasms, mental disturbances, and loss of consciousness. The doctors must take drastic measures. At that point, he was very anxious and agitated. And so um, they decided to put him in a medically induced coma to try and keep him calm. Pediatric infectious disease specialist Dr. Anna Catherine Rye oversees Blake's case. Not only did Blake have increased swelling of the brain, he also had bleeding as well. That's just a terrible sight to see when it's a small child and it's your child and you see him like that. 
I did feel helpless. It felt like everything was out of control. Having been awake for more than 48 hours, Walt and Gingy reached their breaking point. We didn't want to leave. We wanted to stay there, but we knew that we had to get some rest and we had to get some nutrition. They check into a nearby hotel to get a few hours of sleep. While I laid in the bed, I had a dream. And as I was sleeping, a bright white light hit me in the face. It was so bright, I even closed my eyes in my sleep. And the light went away from me, so I followed the light. And it ended up in the front of the hospital. And I followed the light through the front of the hospital uh, to the elevators. It went up to Blake's floor, where it passed the nurse's station, went into his room, and it covered his body and disappeared. Moments later, the couple get an ominous phone call. And they said, y'all need to come to the hospital. Blake's heart's going to stop, so y'all need to come. Doctor explained to us that Blake is brain dead. There's nothing else we can do for him. We've tried and we've done all we can do, but there's nothing we can do. I kind of said, are you sure there's no chance that he can survive or that he's going to get better? And they were like, no, there's no chance. I knew then that God's will was for our son to be with him. Knowing Blake is about to pass away, Gingy and Walt cherished their last moments with their son. We went to his bedside and um, I kind of rubbed his arm to let him know I was there. I told him, I said, Blake, I just want to let you know I love you. And we prayed. I said, you know, God, you gave me eight and a half years with my beautiful child. Now he's yours. Having said their final goodbye, Walt and Gingy turn off Blake's life support. I knew then that God had him. Reflecting back on that dream, I knew that it was God covering our son to have him with him in heaven. The following day, Blake's spinal fluid test results at last reveal what caused his tragic death. Blake's spinal tap showed us that he was infected with a powerful parasite named Nagleria falleri. Nagleria falleri is also known as the brain-eating amoeba. The amoeba attacked Blake's brain cells, causing irreparable damage across the organ. Blake's immune system sent cells to repel the parasite, but the amoeba resisted by withdrawing into a protective sheath. Tragically, this immune response caused Blake's brain to swell uncontrollably, causing his death. 98% of those infected with the Nigleria falleri parasite die in less than a week, making it one of the deadliest parasites on the planet. And it was just mind-blowing that, that something, a single-cell, small amoeba, could do such damage so fast. Nagleria falleri lives in bodies of warm fresh water such as lakes and rivers in tropical and subtropical regions. The parasite can infect humans if contaminated water enters the victim's nose. There, the amoeba latches onto nerve cells in the nose and travels into the brain, causing a condition that is almost always fatal. And Gingy remembers where Blake was exposed. 
And I started kind of putting the pieces together and we had been at the lake the week of July 4th and he was jumping off of the dock. And then I realized he did get water up his nose and that that was how he had contracted this amoeba. Today, the Driggers have memorialized their son by creating a foundation in his name. I want to educate people, let them know how to keep safe while enjoying the lakes. I mainly just want people to realize something as simple as a nose plug could save a child's life. Negleria fowleri is most common in lakes and rivers of the southern states, but it's been found as far north as Minnesota and as far west as California. Cases of human infection with Negleria fowleri are actually very rare. Since 2004, only 34 cases have been reported in the United States, and the majority of those cases occurred in Texas and Florida. To minimize the risk of infection, the CDC advises people swimming in bodies of warm, fresh water to wear nose plugs. The CDC also recommends not stirring up sediment while participating in water-related activities. For more blood-curdling monsters and their hideous habits, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monstersinsideme. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.